Ahoy, 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 everybody. Welcome back. It's been a huge break. Welcome back to Damn Sailors Podcast. This is Captain Rick coming to you. Man, it's been a long, long time. I am sorry, guys. There's just been so much going on. I've actually even been thinking about updating you guys on a kind of what I've been thinking about, a state of the fleet podcast let you know what's going on with the ghetto yacht club but uh everyone's gone and i can't wait to tell you all about what's been going on with the whole fleet and chris and sam and scotty and cameron everybody else has got their own things going on but i cannot wait to tell you guys about what we're doing today today we're going to do something very very different this is going to be our first interview that's right we're going to do an interview with somebody and this is somebody that actually reached out to me. Uh, somehow, th- I'm still kind of amazed <laughs> with the with the reach that you know we have we have gotten with the Damn Sailors podcast. And uh, man, I, as soon as I talked to this guy, he kind of blew me away. He has a crazy story, and he's with us here today. His name is Bradley Angle. He has uh, the Dirty Sailors Company dot com. And uh, I cannot wait to introduce you guys. Hey, what's up, Brad? Hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good, man. Thank you so much for joining us, man. You have no idea how much this means to me. Dude, well, thank you too, Ricky, man. This is this is an honor. I love to be here. Um, listening to your podcast has been really fun, so I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, so how, how'd you hear about us, man? You know, it's we're, we're kind of in a similar market here as far as the... the the type of people we're trying to, you know, entertain and, and get to know and, and, uh, the, the lifestyle we're experiencing. And, you know, I'm working, working on this project, like you said, dirty sailor company. And with that, I'm looking out for, for other organizations, other people that are doing kind of similar stuff, just trying to see what's out there. And, and I found you guys on Stitcher on the podcast there. And, uh, right away I jumped on your website, kind of, kind of looked around a little bit and I reached out to you back in, January, maybe it's been a few months. Yeah, it has been a while. It's yeah. been a work in progress, man. And you know what? I gotta tell you, man. I'm yeah. fuck, I'm I'm sorry about the delay. There's, no, there's no, not at been... all, man. It's it, it takes time, and and what you guys are doing is cool. It's 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 nice to see you guys do more podcasts and, and get into different realms of of the maritime. So it's yeah. all exciting. It's all good. Yeah, that's what we've been trying to do, man. We've been trying to expand, and you know, like. Uh, it, it's it's tough, you know, whenever we first started, we was like, okay, so what's our audience? You know, like, well, we want to introduce new people to the world of maritime and sailing and, you know, just life on the water. But at the same time, we want to give something that will give, like, actual sailors and people with experience something to listen to and something to learn or, you know, something like that. So whenever you reached out to me after I talked to you for a little bit and, and heard your story and that you were interested in it, man, that really made my my heart skip a beat that was that was really cool yeah well you guys are doing a cool thing and, and i think anybody in the environment would be you know would be happy to listen to what you guys are doing it's, it's useful for like you said a variety of, of people and a, a variety of different levels of of experience so cool man so before we get into the actual interview uh i'm gonna pour myself a little bit more um we kind of have a little little tradition of you know having a little something and it, it almost seems like a betrayal of sailor culture to be drinking some scotch whiskey but here's what i am i'm actually drinking a little black label you got something going on on your end I, i've got my bourbon whiskey right here a little bullet 
ready to go. No, bourbon and scotch. Here you go, buddy. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, brother. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. So, so this is um, this is going on two thousand miles apart, man. I, I think it's it's probably late on your end of the stick in Texas, but uh, over here I just got off work, man, and it's it's cool that we're on different sides of the world, like doing this. It's it's fun. So cheers again, dude. Yeah, cheers. That actually brings me to something. Um, man, that, that's something that I wanted to ask you because whenever I was going through your website. You have a you have a lot of uh, articles about the history of the maritime culture and, and and stories and all that stuff and I cannot wait to get into it. But I guess before we get into those questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, man? Oh man, uh, well be prepared to be bored. Uh, Never. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I guess I'll frame it as a story. Um, you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast, actually. I grew up in Virginia. I spent 18 years of my life in uh, in the hills, in the Appalachia. Experiencing the maritime, from my point of view, is has probably been the, the leading cause of my uh, my love for it. It's just so different from what I knew as a kid. Uh, if you can think back to the mid-90s, uh, The Perfect Storm came out. Do you Can you remember that movie? Oh, yeah, with George uh, Clooney? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was a uh, swordfish captain, right, right. On, a, on a boat, right? I, I read that novel. I was working at a, a country club. I had a big fucking afro, and I was driving a golf cart and <laughs> being a caddy. And, and uh, one of the golfers had left this novel in the golf cart. And on my off time, I started flipping through it. And I had this crazy feeling that, like, I, I needed to experience the ocean. So – that was my goal, leaving leaving Virginia and and finding the water and doing something on the sea was kind of my mission in, in life after 18. And that was back in still before 9-11 happened. And uh, after 9-11, everything turned and then it, it, it became a whole – my sense of like wanting to do something to help the world kind of grew and combining that with my desire to go to the, the sea, I – I joined the Coast Guard, and that was that was at 18. I, I enlisted in the Coast Guard at 18, and I experienced some cool and crazy shit and some some things that you just don't see on the news because they're they're pretty funky. And uh, I fell in love, man. Every every part about it, being on a boat, being on a ship, the people, especially the people, um, the stories you hear from from mariners is like no other stories you hear anywhere people bring their isolated cultures from random parts of the world and they mingle and mix on these small little platforms whether it's a 30-foot recreational sailboat or a 300-foot steel military ship it's kind of the same you have a mix of cultures clashing together on a on a on a little jail floating out in the middle of nowhere um (laughs) And you get crazy stories, and, and, and it's adventurous, and it's exciting. So um, how how, how have left- those stories affected the way that you uh, that you dealt with, you know, the rest of, you know, your love for, you know, the maritime culture? Because, I mean, some of this stuff, and, and I noticed in your, in your website, um, it, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, you know? Like, it, 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 <laughs> gets, uh, it gets pretty gritty sometimes. How, how did that change going from you know, this kind of like 
I love to see this very idealistic point to, you know, uh, going in there and, and just being like, whoa, this is what it's actually like. Yeah, I think so that that is the trip is 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 noticing that there's there's something different about a sea story than than what one might anticipate. You you kind of look at at the definition of a sea story, then the assumption is is it has to do with the sea or or the content is nautical in nature. I I think that's wrong and and it was naive of me to think that at 18. So I went to sea to gain some sort of wisdom about the ocean or, or the essence of being, a, you know, crashing through a wave on a ship or whatever it is. But I came to realize that the, the heart of a sea story isn't the, the, the essence of the ocean. It's, it's really about the, the character themselves and being, again, transplanted from wherever they're at in their life in the world onto the small platform. And, and that brings out something in people that's really unique. And so a sea story could be, be anything. So what I came to learn was one, we live in a really diverse world and my small time view of the world from Goochland County, Virginia, uh, represents such a small fraction. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so strange how people from Palau think it's so weird how people from Galveston, Texas think, <laughs> but it's awesome to be trapped in a boat with these people and listen about their childhood and listen about their beliefs and their attitudes and their values. There's something that's really powerful about that. And that that's kind of what the maritime did to me. It, it transferred like my love or my, my desire to experience the water into my desire to kind of experience like the raw side of people. Oh yeah. That's a big motif in a lot of these sailing stories, right? You know, the, the whole get, yeah, get, the, get Moby Dick. It's, it's about people. Exactly. It's 100% about people. Exactly. That's why just, when you just said, like, I wanted to go out there and learn about the ocean, it's not about the ocean. It's about the people. And that just, as soon as you said that, the way that you just worded it, it fucking blew my mind, man. That was awesome. Yeah. So, um, before we get into all this, like philosophical stuff, why don't you, uh, I, I still want to get into some of the essence of, of what you are bringing to the table. So, uh, what do you want to talk a little bit about your, like, uh, you know, maritime or sailing experience? Um, yeah, sure. I will. Uh, one, I'm, I'm a licensed captain. Now I have my 200 ton. Um, I'll work backwards here. I've, I've been in the ferry industry longer than anywhere else. So passenger ferries, uh, I worked with, uh, the concessioner that drove Alcatraz ferries. You can imagine 7,000 people going from San Francisco to Alcatraz every day and back. Oh, wow. So working on those ferries, uh, I worked for a private high-speed corporate ferry here in the Bay Area, a startup company for two years, and I, I was lucky enough to captain for them and also do some operations management. So I'm really into kind of maybe navigation is a good way to, to describe myself. I, I'm really into cool. to, to bringing in new technology, not just vessel technology, but, but data technology. And I, I, using this stuff in, in a manageable way at, at 40 knots and, and fog and, and darkness mm. and, uh, and safely getting customers to where they want to go. So I, the captain thing is one thing. The, the culture thing and kind of what I'm doing with it now comes from my academic background, which is randomly uh, business. I studied business management and later business administration in grad school. Um, that's where I started this website. And the website was based off of kind of 
a target market. It was only based off of the customer or what I thought was the customer. And I, I, I labeled this uh, demographic as dirty sailors. It's exactly what I consider myself as. It's it's kind of like the pirate without the sword. You know, it's just this like raunchy type of character who who really just wants to have fun on the on, on boats, you know, and oh, they yeah. kind of they they throw out kind of traditional politics and traditional, um, you know, politically correctness goes out the window and you're just out there to have fun and meet people and do kind of what makes you feel good. But also you earn a respect for your environment and also for the people you're with. So within drinking as much rum as possible, you're also trying to get the, the, the people beside you as happy as possible, you know, and I'm kind of getting on a tangent there going back to before the ferries, um, I worked at a marina, so I you, you guys are doing this. Uh, is it the help me if I'm wrong here? The Ghetto Yacht Club. Ghetto Yacht Club. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so I worked at a marina for five years, and and that was an experience, man. I was just a dock worker. That was post Coast Guard during during my schooling endeavors. I was working full time as a dock worker. This is 850 slips in the heart of San Francisco Bay. Marinas are so fucking cool, man. You have people <laughs> like literally living on their kayaks, you know, trying to hide out from the harbor master, you know, come darkness. And then like five <laughs> slips down, you have a, a million dollar boat, you know, and this fucking yacht and everything in between. So you get this very eclectic group of people once again in the maritime industry. And the backdrop is always the water. It's always the boats. It's always the sounds of the seagulls and the ringing of the bells and the slapping of the rigging and the creaking of the docks. And then just different people, just weird people from all spectrums of life. That was that was awesome. So I was doing I mean, you can imagine what that entails. I was plumbing and electrical and, and driving a little uh, Boston Whaler around at, at two highest speeds. Um, <laughs> and before that was a Coast Guard. So I did five years in the Coast Guard, uh, a non rate on a 378 out of San Diego. 378 is the size of the ship. That was the, the largest ship at the time in the Coast Guard. We did what was kind the name of the, of the ship. It was called the Chase. The Chase. Uh, oh, that's yeah, cool. The Chase. Yeah. Uh, uh, WEC seven one eight. WEC stands for White High Endurance Cutter. Cool. And we uh, we we chased cocaine and immigrants in the 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 Central American region, mm -hmm. and then we would do fishy patrols in Alaska, and we would alternate deployments for three months. Wow. Yeah, that cool. was cool, man. Uh, I I left there to go to, to school to learn my rate, which was to become an electrician's mate. I was trained as an electrician. Never touched a light bulb in the Coast Guard. I went directly out of that into law enforcement. This was right about the time the Coast Guard switched to Department of Homeland Security, mm, and they yeah. introduced these new law enforcement anti-terrorism teams. And uh, they, they solicited for people who could run a mile in, in eight minutes or less and who could you know, shoot a sidearm relatively accurately. And I, I, I fit both those bills and, uh, I joined the team and, and I did that for my last three years. And it was a lot of boredom mixed with about 5% of excitement. So mm, okay, yeah. man. Yeah. That sounds a lot like, uh, life as a paramedic or a firefighter, you know, yeah. that, that's what yeah. I do, you know, like 90% of the time it's just BS, but then whenever it's time to go, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. It's a, it's a, it's a strange world. It's exciting, and it's also if you can harness, you know, something productive during that ninety percent of the time, 
You know, that that's the key to that lifestyle. That so I'm sure key. you're learning that now. Uh, I, yeah. I'm having trouble learning that. But yes, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to get into that, man. So at yeah. what point, you know, you said you, you, you kind of got into that stuff when you were 18. What would you say was, was the aspect of it that kept you going? Because, I mean, if you got into the Coast Guard or if you got into the maritime industry, I mean, at some point, you know, you could have been like, you know what, this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, like what, what kind of kept you going? What, what kept you there? Even, even going into as a like naive, you know, 18 year old expecting something else. Yeah. Um, so there's a few elements here. I could, I, I want to say the people, but that's, that's not necessarily true. Um, because I, I, I learned about people in the Coast Guard and, and, and I learned that I love people in the Coast Guard and I've been, more or less a social butterfly ever since, man. And, and I, and I build networks wherever I go just because I enjoy listening to people talk. But also, uh, uh, one of the other elements is, uh, kind of around the same time I was reading that, that book, the perfect storm, I was kind of into drugs, man. And in, and in Goochland County, we didn't have the laboratory drugs. There was no methamphetamines. There was no crack you could get basically mushrooms and, and, and weed, you know, and every now and then acid. And I had a few, my, my parents' property had this old pond. It was, a, a, the pond was kind of silting in. It wasn't very deep. There might've been like two catfish you could catch, you know, time and time again with a worm and a bobber and that's about it. <laughs> and uh, I used to go down to this dock on this pond and just eat mushrooms like late at night, man. And I'd stare at the water. And that has been a repetitive type of thing in my head ever since and just sitting on a fantail on any boat i can just like be nostalgic and, and stare at the water and i think a lot of people probably a lot of your listeners are like well that guy's crazy but I, I i mean to be completely honest i don't i don't think so i think i just there's something that clicked i if you ever stare at water it's it's a pretty – give it your attention. If you can just give your attention 100% to staring at the water for five minutes, it would be hard to argue that that's like not interesting. Right. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a cool thing to look at. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I grew up in the desert, man. And uh, to me, like growing up in Reynosa and McAllen, which is like South Texas, to me the water was uh, South Padre Island, you know. Which is yeah. like yeah. party island, so it's not even like the the sea going out or whatever. It's like where everybody goes to get pretty much fucked up or whatever. But even then, yeah. you know, I'd go and I'd just like sit at the beach and just stare at the water. There's something yeah. to be said. It's like staring at the water or staring at a at a bonfire. You know, you uh, you can just yeah. sit there and just stare at a fire, and there's just something like yeah. really calming and just like meditative about it. I totally get that, man. It's it's a very human thing. Like the fires. I'm glad you said that. Like there's 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 studies behind this. Like we love to look at the light, man. It's, it's true. And yeah, we're like bugs. You just, yeah, yeah. We're like zap. <laughs> yeah. That's what I didn't know you were from South Padre Island or you, or you, you spent a lot of time there. I, um, I have been to South Padre Island, um, on a, on a renegade road trip to buy a new truck with a buddy of mine. And, uh, <laughs> it was in the winter and the, we had the entire beach. I don't think there was another soul there, man. It was just an empty, vacant beach and it was gorgeous. Yeah. It if, if it's not the middle of summer or, you know, like summertime or whatever, South Padre Islands for the most part dead. And, uh, you know, poor old Port Isabel, which is on the other side of the bridge, that one mile long bridge or whatever, it's even more dead. So like, 
Yeah. It's it's kind of like Galveston. It, it's got that like dual like um, it's got a busy season and a really slow season. But at least Galveston has a higher population and it also has, you know, cruise ships coming into it. So at least there's people coming in year round. But yeah. anyway, that's cool, man. I, I had no idea that. Um, so but trying to get a little back on track um, before we get into like what I really want to ask you about, which is like some of the history in your uh, in some of the articles that you've put it on on, you know, Dirty Sailor Company. Is, yeah. uh, what what were you trying to accomplish with uh, Dirty Sailor Company? Yeah, I want to I, I really want to promote our culture, man. I want to promote the 21st century Mariner. And I I don't know how to do that. And there's also, uh, you, you might experience this too, it takes so much time, and it, it was shocking to learn this. It takes so much time to put any quality content on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I kind of I did two things. In the beginning, I said, this is for the long term, and I don't care about money. I don't care about money yet. It would be nice if I could make this into something uh, financially sustainable. But at this point, it's, it's a hobby. I want to learn. I want to have fun, and I, I want to interact with people. Totally get that. Yeah. And the the other thing was I didn't have a product. (laughs) So, you know, I'm starting a business without a product. It's a, it's a, it's not a, you believe it or not, it's not an abnormal thing to do. I, I, I knew my market. I knew that people existed out there that had this belief system, these, these attitudes, these values, and these common interests. Again, the dirty sailor, this is like, this is the working class mariner. These people, you go anywhere in the world and, and they, they relate. They, they hang out the same dive bars. They hang out in the, the, uh, the same clubs at the, the yacht harbors. And, and um, there's something cool about that. And I just want to find something that's relatable to most of them and then promote the hell out of it. And yeah, then, there, you know, there, there's something that, that you mentioned whenever we were you know, trying to get ready for this interview or whatever. You know, what, what exactly what you just said, that 21st century mariner – and that the history of sailors up until this point has changed so drastically, but there is still this attachment to the past, this like tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever you said that, it just literally blew my mind. Cause I never thought about that. You know, like people are still getting the same types of tattoos, you know, signifying yeah. the same things. Yeah. Um, but like the zeitgeist, the, the whole, I mean, the world has changed. It's no longer the same. I mean, g- being a sailor back in, you know, pre-Napoleonic times was different than like post-Napoleonic times or pre-Columbus times, you know, like the, the, the whole history of being a sailor has changed so much throughout history that I, I didn't yep. even think about, you know, like the fact that I have a Marconi sail, you know, just the fact that I have a triangle sail on my sailboat. Yeah. It's a big step in another direction from previous sailors, you know, in history. So, like, you really got me thinking. And the fact that you even brought that up kind of blew my mind. So, how how did you even get to that, man? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't – you named a lot of it, the, the tattoos, you know. I don't, I don't have any nautical tattoos, but I have a lot of friends that are covered in them. And I, I'm curious about it. Like, why, why would you put that swallow on your shoulder – you know, and it's like, oh, it represents 10,000 miles at sea. And then it's like, well, why does it represent that? So I just kind of followed these leads back and back and back to see where they came from. And it 
once you start following a lead, you always uncover something new. And it's the, right. the classic kind of, I want to know why people do the things they do. I, I really do. And if you follow any of these aspects, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's the, once again, there, there's tons of aspects about the maritime, the technology, like you, you mentioned your, 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 your rig that you have on your sailboat and your sailboat hull the design, right? These are all mm-hmm. new within the age of sailing and the age of sailing has been around for 700 years. You know, we've, we've been sailing long distances for 700 years and it's all based off of the sense the, the, the principle that if you put some big object on top of your boat, the wind will, will push it. And that's changed slightly. Now you can, you can pull it and you can actually go faster than the wind. Now all that's interesting, but it's still based around the same thing. And if you read the literature that spans these time periods, um, even as far back as, as Homer, I mean, the, the, the Odyssey had tons of stuff about the maritime in it. You, you, you find these characters that are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're staring. They're, they're leaning over the rail, staring at the water, yeah. or discovering. Yeah. They're discovering new people and new creatures. And they're, they're telling stories to, to landlubbers about what they experienced at sea. And those stories are slightly embellished or, you know, it's yeah, it's, but there's that interest from the landlubbers, like, oh my god, the yeah, sailors coming from yeah, crazy yeah. fucking places. Yeah, and uh, you know, I live Galveston's a, a huge fucking port, right? Houston's is just as big. Uh, I you guys are probably considered a, 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 the same port by the Coast Guard, right? Galveston, Houston area. Uh, there's actually different because as soon as you come in uh, to the Galveston or the Houston Ship Channel, the jetties. The, mm-hmm. the Galveston Channel is actually like a 90-degree turn uh, west. And then if you keep going like northwest, then yeah. you, you get yeah. to the, the Houston port. Got it. Okay. So there's different – there's probably like different isolated charts like for each channel. Um, no. So uh, what we were getting at was um, the the whole aspect of, you know, like the, the – wow, Yeah. Losing. So there we go. So maritime ports, right? So yeah, yeah. you look at the Houston Galveston area and there's there's tons of tons of shit from the Spanish. You know, you guys were right in the center where the Spanish and the English and the French were all kind of merging oh, right yeah. there. And then yeah, and then you go back to like the piracy was rampant in in the Gulf of Mexico. And oh, I believe there was a famous pirate that made a, a an encampment there in Galveston or something. John Lafitte yeah, there you go, man. You know, you know it better than I do. Um, oh yeah. You know, and these tales can be kind of like there's carbon copies of these different adventures in every major port, but you go inland and you don't you don't have these same like drastic histories. And the the region is the reason is that the basis of maritime is all just transport, transport of goods. Search for new stuff. Search for new stuff. And with that, you bring the old stuff with you. You bring the old traditions. You bring the old, you know, whatever. In, in, in the case of the Americas, we brought our old diseases. And, yeah. and you know, and well, it's... I think there's something pretty interesting to be said about that, actually, that I've never really thought of before, that that's kind of what made the Wild West the Wild West. You know, because for a long time, the sea was just this, like, unknown thing. Like, you go out to the water, like, you better know where you're going and yeah. before you know the the west in the u.s you know that big gold rush or whatever the oregon trail or texas or you know west of that nobody really knew what was going there was no rule of law 
That's yeah. what made yeah. piracy so important or so dangerous out at sea, right? So you got all these areas, pretty much what you said, same in the Wild West, same as it would be at sea. You have these little pockets of people where it's not so much about the sea, but what the sea provides for these pockets of people to yeah. kind of change these things or, you know, make these stories. That's cool, man. I, it's you're you're exactly. making me think of this whole thing that I love so much in a brand new way, and I fucking love it, man. Yeah, cool, man. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah, all all these characters, and and you mentioned some of the articles that that are on my my site, and I, I my only regret is like I I want to make them better. I want to make the articles capture, you know, the characters I'm talking about or the books that I'm referring to. Um, so I don't, yeah. Yeah. So are you ready to talk about some of these characters? Yeah, if you want to, bring on the questions, man. Oh, dude. So I guess uh, it'd probably be better to do a little chronological thing. So you have a, a, a bunch of a bunch of articles that I absolutely loved. Um, one of them included, you know, um, literature about Jack London, about the Sea Wolf, which is one of my favorite books of all fucking time. Yeah, but I, 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 I'm, I'm going to try real hard to stick to this historical aspect of it. And uh, you have a great fucking article about Magellan. Do you want to you think you could give us like a little quick overview synopsis or or. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't. I can't. I can't remember the article off the top of my head. Um, well, the, the the thing that I loved about the article was that it it uh, it really kind of emphasized the the change that it did to the world. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because before Magellan, or here I'll, I'll I'll let you take over. But Magellan, like I I never like I knew of him. I knew of his story a little bit. Um, I knew that he died during his expedition. But other than that, um, there's a clothing company that's pretty popular. You know? I, I didn't even know that. I got to look that up now. Oh yeah, Magellan. I think they're in a uh, they're in academy. They got some good stuff. I'm, I think I might be actually wearing like these like camping pants. You know, like, like a lot of camping gear and stuff like that. But yeah. um, so I, I, I was I was vaguely aware of of his existence, and but I didn't know the extent of his importance. Not just to like the maritime culture or history, but to our like our literal understanding of the world. Yeah. So, oh man, this is it's such a cool topic, and I I got into maritime history in the sense of studying some of like the 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 age of sailing, right? Is what it's called, or the age of exploration. There's there's a few different titles there. Mm. Only recently, like literally three or four years ago, and a. And I, and I touched the first book, which was a, a, a book about um, about Columbus, Magellan, and Drake, right? And it just happened to be a random book. And and I fell in love with the stories and not the author. And I was kind of mad at the author. Um, the author really focused on when, – when you talk about these guys, you got to realize what they did. They, they, they spanned an ocean that had never been spanned before. And you had these two different pockets of people. And they were about equal in size. And uh, there's a lot of argument about this, but the data proves it. Uh, you can't you, you can't argue with the data. The population on the Americas was equal to or slightly larger than the population in the rest of the world, Africa, Asia, Europe. Um, and a lot of people don't like to, to acknowledge that, but it's, it's true. And what happened was people 
especially the uneducated, were setting sail across the sea thinking that that was it. And they were doing it because they their other option was to, to starve in a gutter and get infected by whatever disease crossed their path. Um, so the age of sailing happened in a, a really disgusting time period of humankind. So Europe was just crumbling on itself. The, the medieval kingdoms of, of England, Portugal, and Spain were just trashing each other. The people that set sail, we're talking about Columbus, Magellan, these guys weren't peasants by any means. They were educated. They were from relatively noble families. And they set sail knowing that they were probably going to die just because the, their life sucked. And, and this is well documented. They were, they were leaving wills and, and they were taking these huge fucking risks, these huge risks. These kings and queens were loving it because they could just throw another million dollars at it and who cares? It's not like they don't have another million dollars to spare after that. Mm. So they were just funding these trips left and right. And it just so happened that Columbus was, was successful. Um, and then came, you know, the, the reign of Spanish uh, into the Americas, shortly followed by England. And then came like this, this conundrum, like we've kind of taken over the coast of Southern, Central and, and North America. And, you know, now the, 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 the Spanish and the Portuguese are there and, and the, the Catholic Church gave basically they, they, they looked at a longitude and said, OK, this and everything west of this or east of this is owned by Portugal, which right. happened to be Brazil, by the way. Mm -hmm. That was a decision by the Pope to, to give Brazil to the Portuguese. And then the rest of it was owned by Spain. And then English said, okay, but you guys can't come north of this line. And then came people like Magellan. Magellan was not the first, who said, I'm going to find a sailing passage around this fucking landmass. It's there. I'm going to find it. And plenty of people had suspected it was there. And eventually the, the story goes, and it's an epic story, is Magellan set out with five ships, and he made it. And, well, his one of his ships made it back all the way around the world. Two of his ships made it back. Um, and along the way, he, he did one of the most crazy things that humans can do. He set sail across an ocean, he called it the, the Pacific, that he didn't know where the other end is. He didn't know where he was, but he just went out onto the horizon knowing that we might not ever find land again. We might fall off the side of the earth. We might, this is, we have no idea, none. We can carry this much water. We can carry this much food. We have mutineers on board. We don't know. And we're just going to set sail across this fucking sea. What, what do you think about that mentality? You think that was it's it's reckless? the times, man. It's the times. People were so much closer than to death than we are. Yeah, they were so much true. more willing. Yeah, to, the death was just another part of it, you know. And it's probably better than what they were experiencing before. There was just so much suffering, and and even on the boats, the the there's so much literature about the suffering that happened on the boats. The same shit was happening back in their cities. The peasants were still on the streets dying of disease, of scurvy, of, of whatever. It, it, it was all happening up until the 17th century. Um, and the 17th century got better only because the economy swelled, only because we had raped and ravaged an entire continent of people and taken their gold, which they didn't care about to begin with. <laughs> right. You know, and it, it's amazing how much it affected everything. And, um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to, to tap into these stories other than if you haven't read a story of Magellan, you need to go out and buy a book and just, and just start looking at what he did. Mm. Uh, Magellan was not Spanish. He was, he was Portuguese. I'm trying to, yeah, he was, he was Portuguese and he left Portugal because the Portuguese king would not give him money to do his adventure. And he was a traitor and he went to Spain and the Spanish crown gave him five ships. He set sail within a month. He realized that two of his captains were mutineers and he stranded both of them in Brazil and he continued south and the entire way was a struggle. There was storms, ice, you name it, scurvy, dying, death, mutineers. What's the, what's the country at the southern end of uh, South America? Um, Patagonia. Patagonia. Patagonia was named by Magellan for, uh, it was no, big, no shit. Big, if you look at Patagonia, I'm pretty sure it means big feet or something similar to that. And it was, which is complete. It's, it goes back to like the, the myth that's designed by sailors. It's embellishing on the, on the truth. Mm. Um, he made it through the Straits of Magellan, which is slightly north of, of Cape Horn. Mm-hmm. It's more dangerous than it is to go around Cape Horn, but of course he didn't know that. So he made it through and he made it to the Pacific. He kept going. And I think it took, it was two years, two and a half years to get to the Philippines from Spain. He left Seville in southern Spain and made it to the Philippines about two years later. Um, he wintered in uh, just north of Patagonia. And then he spent another winter in, in the Philippines. And he was murdered by a, a, a tribe on the Philippines. He tried to raid their island and, and take him over and they, they killed his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, was... I, I, I laugh only because I find it ironic, you know, because he did it, you know, carrying a cross the whole time. And um, it's it's a trip, man. And, and yeah, it, it, it ah. was something ridiculous. Like I got God on my side and it's like 10 of them versus a thousand or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just... And, you know, and he had he had had success. It was all luck, of course, in the past. You know, the second you you fire a gun around people who've never heard a gun, of course, they're going to think that, you know, there's something special here and I should get out of the way. And not to mention, I would get out of the way of a gun, you know, Jesus. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it'd be like yeah. in our equivalent, somebody used like a fucking plasma rifle or some shit, you know, you'd be like, whoa, hey, buddy. Hey, no, exactly. No, no. You know, and I, I would bow down in a heartbeat, you know, yeah. but these guys, these guys killed him. Just like Captain Cook. Captain Cook was murdered in uh, Hawaii. Right. Or, yeah. But what, uh, that's a different story. Anyway. Um, so wh- why would you say that Magellan was so important? Not just to, you know, the the crazy stories that, you know. The, only because he was the first. Because he was the first one to do that. He was the first one to do it. Mm-hmm. And and the second people realized it could be done, there was then a, a literally a flood. If you <laughs> can think of the 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 spice trade routes were owned by portugal around the horn of africa yeah. right so no other country england italy no other country on the mediterranean could use that route cuz portugal had it locked and they were condoned by the pope so the only other way to get to the spice islands were the route that was the route that magellan had found how did so, uh, how did how did they find out um, who was left after Magellan died? Like how, so how did I, they I don't know the guy's name, but there there was there were two captains and two ships left after Magellan died. They were both loaded full of spices, and they were both scared shitless and completely un, unorderly. And th- they decided to split up. One was to continue because at that point they knew where they were. 
So they knew where they were. They found where they were on the globe and they knew two routes back home. One was by the Portuguese fleet and by the Portuguese base around Cape Horn and back to Spain. And the other was the way they came. The ship that went the way they came, we don't know what happened to it. There's no record. It's it's gone. It disappeared in the Pacific. The ship that went the way of the Portuguese, they they had some some major trials. And I think 13 of them or 33, so, uh, there's nothing like that, survived. And they all had scurvy and were on borderline, you know, they were they were about dead by the time they got back. Wow. But they didn't make it back. And they, they were pulled over by the port. I'd say pulled over like it was a police. They were there boarded <laughs> by the Portuguese at some point. And, uh, you know, there's some drama, but they did make it back. And that was another year. So it was like a three, three and a half year trip circumnavigation around the globe. There was some they drama made it back because with, they were seen as traitors, right? Yeah. Yeah. So early on in the voyage, one of the ships, when they were going through the Straits of Magellan, one of the ships deserted and went back to Spain. And they had told the Spanish, again, king or queen, forget my my lack of knowledge here, that Magellan had traded and he was working for the Portuguese again. <laughs> oh, shit. So at this point, oh, so, man. So at that point, you know, it never affected Magellan because he never learned to, to hear of it or he never lived to hear of it. But uh, at that point, both the Spanish and the Portuguese had a, a you know, reward out for his head. But uh, wow. One of his Magellan was the first to circumnavigate. It was actually, according to some historians, his slave was the first to circumnavigate. But the reason is, is because Magellan had been to the Spice Islands with Portugal 10 years prior on a different sailing trip. Right. So even though he left from Spain, he had already previously been to... Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. fucking crazy. That's such a cool story. Yeah, man. And man, uh, like, I, like I said, there was, um, there was, there was only certain amount that I knew of that story. Uh, kind of the same one or this, uh, the same level of knowledge that I had of that story as about the, the next one that I'm about to bring up, which is also an extremely famous story, the story of Shackleton. Yeah. So the difference was, that when I read some of the stuff that you wrote, you didn't really have a lot of nice things to say about Shackleton, the way that no. it is mostly yeah. portrayed in, you know, the traditional media. And, yeah. and it wasn't until I read some of your, like, your articles and you started to talk about some of the books that you read and the articles are based on the books that I was like, holy shit, this guy was kind of a dick. <laughs> have you been back to read those? Have you read any of those books yet? I have not. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I did read those articles and like those those books are on my um they are on my reading list for sure because like I said that is a completely different version even from just yeah. looking at or listening to some other podcast about, you know, that just focuses on the heroics of, you know, all of these men that yeah. try to do that journey. And they don't really ever talk about what Shackleton actually did or yeah. the Rossi party, which I was like, Oh, the Rossi party, what's that? And then yeah. when I it, like, when I read your article about it, I was like, Oh man, these guys got fucked. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they got fucked and they got fucked by the one man that you're not supposed to be fucked by, you know, the guy that you trust. 
uh, yeah, man, that's a good way to put it. They they got fucked. And so if 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 anybody listening hasn't read um, the story of Shackleton, that's most famous, which is the story of his ship Endurance, and the title is Endurance. You got to read it, and I encourage anybody to read it to pick up on the small note in the beginning that mentions that there's two sea parties because the book endurance never talks about the second sea sea party. And the second you acknowledge that there was a second party involved in this, it changes the whole story. It changes the entire dynamic. It changes the whole story for sure. And dude, I'm so glad you mentioned this. I'm actually reading a book called the ice master, which is about a very similar voyage happening in the Arctic. Because that in 1913, we didn't know if there was a landmass in the Arctic. We had no idea. The pole was still frozen solid in the summer up there. And this guy named Stephenson went out with a party. And I'm going to link these two together. So the important thing about the Ice Master, the book, is that the leader of the pack, Stephenson, ditched his sinking boat and hiked back on the ice and survived. And he told the press the news, the government, his sponsors, that there was a great adventure and that they were successful and that he was a hero and blah, 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 blah. And it was published. Unfortunately for Stephenson, his crew survived. Most of them survived. Ten of them died, but the rest of them survived and made it back to tell the truth, which was Stephenson deserted his boat. You know? And Oh. Yeah. So really fucking cool shit, man. Uh, So that was 1913. The story of Shackleton started in 1913, ended in 1915. And Shackleton, he had four different goals. This first one was to reach the South Pole. He didn't do it. Somebody else did it. His second one was to cross the continent. No, the second one was to establish a base at the South Pole. He didn't do it. Somebody else did it. His third one was to cross the continent. And that's what our book is about. His fourth adventure down there, he actually died en route. But his third one, he went down. And his whole thing to make money is to sell the story in advance. And that's what these guys did. They promised the newspapers, the the all the science laboratories around the world, all of them rights to the story and rights to the data that's right. before it yeah. happens. And then they tell the crew, like, hey, crew, I don't have money to pay you now or along the way but i'll have money to pay you once we're successful (laughs) you know and again this is this is the 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 breaking point of world war one and a lot of people just wanted to go sailing instead of going to die in a trench you know so that so they did and the story of shackleton is is starts with that point right shackleton's the hero he has determined that he will be the hero before the trip starts. And he sets out with two different ships. And the book Endurance tells the hero version. But the reality is much different. And you can see this by reading other versions, other accounts of it. And the, the second book I read was called The Lost Men, which is about the, the other sea party, which was on the far side of the, the thing. But long story short, Shackleton's boat, The Endurance, got stuck on the ice a hundred miles before he was supposed to get off. He couldn't get off and his ship sunk. And over the course of a year, he survived with his entire crew on ice flows. And eventually he did this daring escape to the nearby Island of South Georgia in a little tiny fucking sailboat, a wooden sailboat. Right. 
and he made it. And then he got help and he returned to save his crew. And they all were saved. So that's the story in a, in, in a nutshell. But when you look at it, like from the logistical planning standpoint, it was doomed before it started. He knew that. And a lot of his officers knew that. But because of the contracts they were all signing based on money and stuff, people were dependent on their livelihoods for this thing to, to go off without a hitch. So as officers were taking chances, knowing that if they failed, their crew were going to be homeless, you know, without without anything. So they, they, they all went forward. On the far side of the earth, there's zero communication between the Ross Sea Party and Shackleton's crew. And the Ross Sea Party was assigned the duty of carrying supplies to the two to the one thirds waypoint from their end. So about fifteen hundred miles from their end to meet Shackleton basically in the middle of Antarctica. And and then Shackleton would have enough food to survive on his Right. They were his, like a, a, a supply, yeah. like a supply <clears throat> cache. Yeah. So the mind fuck is they, they can't communicate. So they don't know that Shackleton can't do his his side of it. And they have, you know, their own disasters and they're also not well funded and they can't start properly. And all their dogs die right away. So they have to haul this shit across Antarctica, pulling sleds by hand. And three of these guys die in the process. And the, the articles that Shackleton publishes after the fact. They don't include the deaths of these men. They don't include the struggles of the other party. Shackleton says that he saves the day by saving his men on the ice flow. And that's the mindfuck of it. And it goes back to like, even today, you, you got to question the motives of somebody. You, you got to look at it from their point of view and see what they're gaining, why they're doing what they're doing. And then, and in the world of, you know, 20th century early 20th century sailing communication was limited right and back to the back it all comes back to a loop like the thing i get from it is now we have a lot of technology but it's so easy to stare at garbage technology and avoid the reality around us and you could just as easily miss all the clues that are right in front of you about your leader being a douchebag right does the Um, book go over why Shackleton was like that at all? Yeah, the, why the, the, the so... Lost Sea Party, the first two chapters of the Lost Sea Party, excuse me, the Lost Men about the Ross Sea Party, that discusses Shackleton's motives and it discusses all the planning before the two parties left England. They were, they were, they were an English party. So that that author, he acknowledged that Shackleton was in the wrong here, and he talked about it. Now, besides all of this, all these these known stories and these known versions and these known deaths, you still have a lot of programs out there that say that Shackleton is a hero. Then you still have a lot of old newspaper articles that say Shackleton's a hero. And from my point of view... And, and granted, I, I read two books and I've read maybe a dozen random, you know, Internet articles. The guy's not a hero. He's a douchebag that was obsessed <laughs> with with fame. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, that's that's so. So you, you mentioned something else about like the way I write. And um, I always I'm a contrarian. I just I, I like part of liking to talk to people is is 
sometimes you got to pick an argument just to get it going. So in, in my articles, I almost always approach it from a perspective that is contrary to, to popular belief. Mm. And a, a lot of that's just, just poor ego on my behalf, but some of it, it's, it's valid. And like, we need to question, like, we can't call Christopher Columbus the discoverer of America. That's ridiculous. Oh, no, for it's, sure. Revisionist history <laughs> is, is a very important part of our understanding yeah. of history, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like what, what, what you're talking about is, is, ex- it's pretty much exactly what needs to happen because for a long time, you know, kind of like, uh, who was it? Was it Napoleon that said that, you know, the victor gets to write history or whatever? Yeah. He's absolutely right. But yeah. if we are actually trying to find the truth on what the actual yeah. history is, it's going to take a little bit more digging than that. And little, yeah. usually there's a little more clues than that. Um, yeah. So, for example, was it um, uh, before Shackleton, I think uh, somebody kind of stole his thunder already, so he was trying to do something else. Was that uh, Amundsen? The, that, the, that's a familiar name. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It could be. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but I, th- I think, um, and I, I'm just talking out of my ass at this point, you know, but I know that there was like an age of like, uh, you know, exploring the antarctic which was the last great thing to explore because yeah, we'd explored yeah. everything else you know and I, I know that shackleton you know that was uh that was pretty much what was left of his ego to try to take over and yeah. and his yeah. his ego kind of took over all that stuff and that's kind of what made him a dick even putting his own ambitions in front of his crew and and everything else that just kind of made it you know it made him kind of a shitty leader, I guess. That's that's what he did, and and I agree. And unfortunately, like if you listen to his version, he's a great leader. So it's all you you can say perspectives at play here, but it's also the, there's a reality that men died and they weren't you know acknowledged. Their their efforts were never acknowledged. Yeah, but there there the, is something yeah. to be said about, and I'm pulling this up right now about uh, Shackleton's. Um, like what he wrote about it, you know, because what he said is that whenever he came back, he he was trailing across the Antarctic or whatever. And he came across like some type of little shack. And somebody said, I mean, I'm going to quote here. The man went towards the manager's house and we followed him. I learned afterwards that he said to Mr. Sorrel. There are three funny-looking men outside who say they have come over the island and they know you. I have left them outside. A very necessary precaution from his point of view. Mr. Sorrel came out to the door and said, Well, don't you know me? I said. I know your voice, he replied doubtfully. You're the mate of the daisy. My name is Shackleton, I said. Immediately, he put out his hand and said, Come in, come in. Tell me, when was the war over? I asked. The war is not over, he answered. Millions are being killed. Europe is mad. The world is mad. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. can you imagine, like, <laughs> the whole thing of Shackleton being a total douchebag aside, yeah, yeah. just just that little scene that he kind of pointed in there. Epic. Yeah, dude. Epic is the, fucking epic. the right yeah. word. Oh, you're, you're, you're right. And that's so fucking valid. 
because despite the asshole, it's fucking epic. It and is what fucking they did. Epic. What they did, like they defied a lot of odds, man. They they both both people on both sides of Antarctica, both teams overcame some pretty gnarly shit, dude, and they survived. You know, and then they came back thinking like, they, all right. Let's they go back, back home. It's like, no, yeah. no, dude. Home isn't home. Yeah. Europe is fucking insane right now. It's like, yeah. what? It was supposed yeah. to be over within whatever. Like, you know, like uh, if, if you if you continue down that path, man, one of the uh, one of the guys when they made it back to New- so the raw sea party departed from New Zealand. That was their kind of like departure point. So they made it back to New Zealand uh, Shackleton actually met the Ross Sea Party there, and they all kind of went their different ways. One of the crew was headed on a ship around Antarctica. They're like below South America, and it was fucking torpedoed by a, a, a submarine. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, and a lot of the records uh, were on board another ship going back to England, and it was also torpedoed by a submarine. What? So a lot of like they. A lot of the photography and shit, because if you, so there was there was some ma- major sinking of, of of commercial merchant and, and and naval ships, obviously during both wars. Mm-hmm. But it was if if you were a merchant mariner or, or aboard a, a cargo ship during those wars, uh, oh yeah, you, you were fucked. You had you had odds of getting dead. Oh, know? especially you know, here in the Gulf odds. of Mexico. Like supposedly this was one of the most dangerous waterways in the world for a while. Because of the German U-boats during World War Two. Oh no shit! Yeah, well, yeah, the Gulf of Mexico was supposed to be like really bad. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Uh, well, I'm for anybody along. that's not, uh, nope, I'm, we're not really putting out the video. Um, but uh, Brad and I were, we got video on each other as we're recording, and I just saw him pouring something, so I'm gonna pour something for myself. And it looks like we're kind of losing video for a second, so I'm gonna take this time. Brad, are you there? All right, Brad. I think we got our shit back together. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Cool, man. Man, I I really enjoy this this history. You're you're bringing some really cool perspectives into into my world and the dirty sailor world, man. I really appreciate it. There's uh one more thing before we close out that I really kind of want to bring up, and um, that's that's uh you got a. a one or two other articles in your website about the science in this kind of like physical science um, of sailing that is very let me rephrase that let me start over real quick physical geography that is pertaining to sailing which is uh, both meteorology and geology when I saw that article about geology I was like what (laughs) okay yeah, there's big rocks. Yeah, big yeah. deal. And then I read your article and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, there's, there is a lot to be learned from there. And that's cool, man. You know, like I, I'm never a person to say, you know, that I know everything or, you know, I absolutely understand there's just so much to learn that a lifetime yeah. is not enough to learn about all this stuff. So when I read your article, it just kind of introduced me to a whole other aspect of it. Yeah, man. It, um, I guess what you're getting at is like why mix in like these science articles and, and kind of like the way I approach it. And it goes back to like, just having fun, man. If you, if you read the article on geology, I think you might've listened to it. That was, 
that was my original attempt to to do a podcast, and it so, failed miser- miserably. <laughs> no, you say you failed miserably, but I listened to it, and it was the funnest thing that I had listened to in a while. So anybody that's listening, I totally encourage you to go to DirtySailorsCompany.com. Uh, go to the article section, which I think is like B Captain. Um, yeah, correct. And yeah. then under there. Um, it is under geology of sailing or I, I can't remember the actual title of it, but I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the article itself, as I read it first and then I listened to it and then it just made it so fun. <laughs> so fun. Like, I, I guess you'd had a little to drink. Uh, yeah, I don't, always. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but, uh, uh, man, it was so fun to listen to. I encourage anybody but uh, do you do you remember anything about like what you talked about there? Do you want to kind of cover some some topics? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks, man. Uh, thank you. I, I you know sometimes it's it's hard to to listen to yourself speak, man. So oh, I, I know uh, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Well, one geology is is a is a hobby of mine. I I, I just like rocks, similar to the water. I, I like rocks are. are are just a good way to like explore the world. And I was, I was curious about them. So in undergrad, my school and here in California, you were required to take at least one lab field class for your science, general oh, elective so science. Cool. Yeah. So most people do either biology or chemistry. And, and I was lucky enough to be able to do geology. And I had this nut job professor who, who was just in love with rocks. And, uh, and, and I, I clung on to him, man. He was a personality and he, and he, and he, taught me all about rocks, man. And, and I took his lessons and I, I basically formed a blog out of it, um, based on, on my experience in the maritime and why, you know, you, you see sailing near coastal or inland shorelines are, are fucking important for so many reasons. The main one is you don't want to hit them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, if, if you know a little something about the, the, the material you're looking at on the shore, you can you can gain so much information from that, and I get like we live in the age of technology where you can you can you know use your your e chart to to learn all you want to know about where you want to be and where you want to go. I, I get that. So there's an argument to be to be made that it's it's a waste of time to learn this shit. Um, but I make the argument that like I like it and I learned it and and I am a sailor and. I have the time to write an article about it. That's goofy. And I, I did that. Dude, and to me, like what, what's super cool about it. I've always been interested in geology. I've, I've just never had any formal training in it. Right. Like I'm on Reddit and there's a, what is this rock subreddit? And there, it, it's always really cool <laughs> because anytime you have a rock in your hand, it's like the literal history of the planet. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a history behind it and there's a history of the elements that were around in that specific area and the temperature yeah. and how much air was um, available yeah. or Dude. oxygen. You can measure all that, you know, and it, you it's, nailed it, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it's super cool. So not only that, but if you're around an area that you don't know, let's say, you know, uh, there's there's a really popular kind of post apocalyptic scenario or whatever. Um you know, zombies take over the world, GPS systems go down, all this stuff where this kind of information would come in handy. 
And why or, or even if you're just on a boat and you lose power to your electronics, you no, know, <laughs> dude, you're right. I'm getting even way ahead of myself. It doesn't yeah. even have to be post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic yeah. could be you lose your batteries. You know, <laughs> you see some rocks and you realize like, oh, shit, there's probably more of these types of rocks or, you know, um, here in the Gulf Coast, for the most part, um, it's it's mostly sandy. You know, if you're going to run aground. You know, you're probably going to run it, run aground into some mud or whatever. It's not a big deal. But, you know, sometimes if you get over to the East Coast, and I think we talked about this on the ICW episode, and I'm not really sure. I would love to talk to somebody about it. I don't know if you know, but uh, within the ICW, it might not be muddy all the way. There might be rocky areas. So if you try to run aground or if you go too much to one side, you might fuck yeah. up your keel and then you're looking at very different issues. You want to know that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was cool. Your 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 co-host or your ho your 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 partner, he mentioned something about I think it was the tug community on the Intracoastal Waterway, how they were very like they they were very like rustic on the radio and very like kind of like you know whatever get out of my way type of attitude. Oh yeah. And he, and he he mentioned he actually posed the question to his audience me you know. I wonder what other, you know, are the cultures similar in other parts of the world? Do like tug, tug boaters in other parts of the world act this way? Do recreational boaters act this way? And that's the same question I'm posing. Like, I'm so curious about that. And from my experience, I, I've been on the Intracoastal Waterway in New Orleans and in, um, uh, what's the big, uh, Marine Corps base in uh, South Carolina? Um, I've, I, I've been on the waterway there. And uh, I've experienced a little bit of it and kind of like some of the industrial and commercial traffic that runs through it. And then I definitely know the commercial traffic on the West Coast from San Diego to Seattle. And and the tug industry is full of these guys, man. They're on the radio. They're just brutal. They don't the, the etiquette. They don't have time for the etiquette. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, yeah. it's great, man. I, I think it's it's they're to the point. They're to the T and they don't care if you're you're your shiny fiberglass boat gets dinged. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, for sure. I've, I've almost gotten crushed by one. I think I mentioned yeah. that in the last episode. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's game time, and they they got their own shit going on. They don't really care about your precious little sailboat, whether yeah. it's expensive or not, you know? It'd There's be a cool lot of money see, going in there. Yeah. It'd be a cool thing to see or to, to have a podcast talk about, you know, the different maritime sex across the country and see if some of the culture aspects overlap like yeah you know? dude actually um unfortunately like i said i think at the beginning of the episode that sam was not a, not able to join us today but i know that we can make a whole other episode if um you and him sat down because he is now currently a dredging captain or a dredging engineer or an engineer on a dredging boat yeah, you yeah. work for the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Is that, that's correct, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I know that between you two, you can definitely make a whole episode for anybody that's really interested about uh, that really niche, very specific topic, which is to me is super cool, and I would like love to participate and listen to. Dude, let's um, pencil it in, man. Yeah, let's I'm, do it. I'm, I'm totally down, and I'm I'm yeah. really sad that he's not able to join us right now. And I know that he wants to be here because he said, like, you know, that if I start talking to him about that, that will be the whole episode. And I was like, I know and it would be my job to try to 
keep it in track with, you know, the, the dirty sailor company and the articles and the history that I want to talk about. And he's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, w- I would love to sometime in the future to get back to you um, if you're cool with it, you know, and, and talk about that very industry specific topic. If not through a podcast, through a blog or, you know, whatever, it, it doesn't Let's... really matter to me. It's fucking interesting. And I mean, here at the damn sailors, we can do whatever the fuck we want. So uh, fucking a man, I, you know, I, I've listened to all your podcasts. I think I've listened to all of them and, and Sam seems like a cool guy, dude. I'd love to talk with him and, and continue the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, shit, man, uh, we've been on here for an hour 13. I'm, I'm ready to keep yeah. going. How are you feeling? Dude, you're you're taking the lead on this one, man. You tell me. All right. So I I, I have a couple other questions that I would love to run by you. Um, we talked about earlier um, the new generation of sailors and this kind of like change in, uh, I guess the time period, what sailors use, what it used to mean to be a sailor, and what it m- means to be a sailor now. Um, you have a very good understanding on the history of what a sailor used to be. What, what, what are you hoping to see that a sailor turns into in the future? You know, this, like we keep talking about this new generation that, that I'm trying to get a hold of, and you're trying to get a hold of, like, what, what are you trying to see in this new generation of sailors? Yeah, there's, I, I think this is important, man, and this is at the heart of the conversation about the maritime and, and, and where we're going as as a group of people, um, as loosely as we're defined. That sounds silly to say a group of people, but uh, I relate to being a mariner, and uh, and I'm going to hold true to that. So there, I think that there's there's two things that that have happened. One is globalization, and two is technology. So, so can, I, can I stop you right there, real quick? Yeah. This whole idea of globalization um, into being a mariner for a long time, for most of the time in human history, globalization wasn't a part of sailing. Sailing was a very localized kind of like you got your own little tribe and they're the ones that fund you to go sailing. Yeah. Right. So this is just by saying that um, I would like if if you can to kind of. I guess, uh, elaborate a little bit in that because you, know, we, we talked about, um, Shackleton and he had to find his own little, yeah. or he had to find his country to fund him. Magellan had to find his own country, you know, like, and yeah. it was all during the age of exploration. The age of exploration for sailing is no longer a, an actual thing, right? Yeah. The, um, I don't want to say it's completely recreational, but it definitely has changed the topic or the way that sailing is viewed for anybody that wants to go into it. You know? Yeah. I don't even really know what I'm trying to ask. I'm I'm, I'm just kind no, of no. I no. I I hear you, man. I, I I get you, and I think you're 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 right on point here. It's it, it's changed because the 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 information sources are totally available to us now. If you want to sail to bumfuck Alaska, 
you're you're a keystroke away from having the coast pilot to bumfuck Alaska. You're gonna have not only the local notice to mariners that tells you about the the, the eddies, the broken light station, and the local language. You're also gonna have a, a up to date weather report that's given to you every ten seconds. You know, and and that's not necessarily that's more of I guess I'm that's speaking more to the technology side, but also the globalization side is just that the the culture mix at ports. So if you go to bumfuck Alaska, you right now is who you are, they're not gonna be surprised by you when you pull in on your boat. <laughs> right. They're not. Yeah. They, they they might try to sell you something or might try to restrict selling you something, but they're not going to be in shock and awe or curious about you. And the like same is true. It used to be if, two, three hundred years ago. It was like, holy yeah. shit, where the hell are you coming from? Yeah. And and the opposite's not true, but that's a different topic. But the same is true of, of you go to Barcelona, you could go to, you know, any of the thousand popular ports in Asia or the tens of thousand popular ports in that part of the country, anywhere, and nobody's going to be surprised that you pulled in there. Maybe if you go to Somalia, you know, the, the local <laughs> beach community is going to like stare at you like you're a lunatic. Like but otherwise, otherwise, you're not out of the ordinary, man, you know? Right. It, that's because the culture mix has happened. It's, it's happening, but it already started, you know? Like, the, the everybody knows that iPhones exist. Everybody knows that black, red, yellow, white, you know, any combination of all those people exist. Nobody's surprised by it anymore. The language barrier isn't a surprise. There, there, there's ways around it. Any port city knows how to get around language barriers. So if, if technology has kind of taken that mystique away from from sailing like what it used to be what what do yeah. you think is is left M mystique is key man i mean m the mystique is is one of the most interesting things about maritime history and i i think it's gone unless unless you're new to sailing and you're just straight up in awe every time you see a sunset or every time you come into a new port the mystique is gone. But the cool thing about the world is it's a big place. And you guys in your in your club travel to new places, right? Part of part of your 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 reason to do what you do is your desire to go to new places and to have adventures. Yeah. So that's still there. So even though we have the technology to override mystique, you, you don't have to use it. You can still go out and explore without Googling, you know, what you're about to find. That's <laughs> you know? true. And yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's the important thing. And it, as, as we move further and further into the, the, the realm of globalization and the era of technology, I think it's important to remember that w we can regulate, you know, how we're affected by this. And when we go to see we don't have to have all the, the bells and whistles and, and technology with us. We don't have to. We could because it might be safer. We don't have to use it every day. We don't, we don't have to. The connectivity doesn't have to be 100% when you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You might want to turn, turn off all that stuff for a week on end and experience the, the drift and the, the, the fact that, you know, 
humankind's really far away from you. Yeah. And just, you know, and, and I, I don't, I've never been on my, on my own on a sailboat at sea. And I, I hope that I am one day. And I hope that when I do it, I don't take my cell phone with me. I hope that I don't take a laptop with me. I hope that my EPIRB is my only, you know, device of safety. And I hope I can use a sextant to get to Hawaii. Oh, dude, me too. I've been looking at sextants recently, man. They're like, good ones are fucking expensive. But that is definitely something that I, that I want to do for sure. Yeah. I think it's important, man. It's important to remember that technology is great, but don't let it override the, the mystique and don't let it override the, the value of your own head. Because we, we know that an abacus helps you learn math and it makes you better at math. A calculator does not. Right. A calculator ruins your ability to learn math. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I, and I think you can, you can take that and, and, and carry on with that argument forever and, and yeah, realize. I, I, I totally agree man and it, and and it, it's even like the it's the difference between watching a movie and reading the synopsis of a movie you know mm-hmm. yeah it's it's kind of the same thing but you get more out of one than you do the other yeah yeah you can't you can't read a synopsis of pulp fiction and understand what the fuck you just read yeah or a book <laughs> or you know any exactly you know yeah like the, there's fuck man there there's the emotional aspect that comes to to the journey of yeah. you know being on a boat or trying to get you know this type of expedition or this type of trip done yeah yeah totally agree yeah. man well shit um man i've yeah i would love to you- keep going dude <laughs> but uh i i think we we're we're getting pretty close to what my bourbon's hitting in pretty hard right now, man. I might start saying things I don't want to say. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, uh, I have had a little bit more of this Johnny Walker than I thought I would. Um, so let me, my last question, or I got two more questions for you. Let me put it that way. All right. Um, All right. Uh, second to last one is what would you say to newbies and how they should and how they could or should get into uh, the sailing or maritime industry and or culture. And the, there's not a right or wrong way. Um, you know, your, your environment plays a role with how you think. So remember that your environment plays a role with how you think. And in the maritime, there's an unlimited amount of environments to be in. And, and just because your first one was a certain way doesn't mean every other one is going to be the same way. Um, so a newbie, don't spend too much money. You know, try not to spend too much money, you know, depending on what, <laughs> what you're doing in the maritime. But it's easy to spend money. And uh, so easy. And remember, remember, man, people come in all shapes and sizes. And, and even the bad ones, there's something there that's that's cool. So enjoy it. Yeah, very much appreciated for that, for sure. Because it's hard, you know. Um, I got really lucky getting into, you know, this group of people over here at the Ghetto Yacht Club. Well, at that point, it wasn't the Ghetto Yacht Club. It turned into that. But, you know, just finding a, a really, really caring and, and very knowledgeable group of people that I just kind of essentially leached off from for a while. And that kind of got me where I am now. But, uh, you know, that's something that we're trying to do here, trying to trying to get anybody that's really interested 
giving them extra ways to to be able to get into this type of position and be able to learn how to sail and learn how to work on boats or you know it, and and the other aspect of it is um being in the coast guard or being the u.s army corps of engineers you know any aspect of getting out in the water like there's there's just the maritime industry and or the sailing industry is just so huge and i don't think a lot of people realize that you know it's diverse there's a lot lots of ways in lots of ways in absolutely so what's next with you man what you got going on oh man um like you said i i I, I'm with the Army Corps of Engineers now. I I, um, I started three months ago, and I'm learning a lot, uh, doing some cool stuff with this organization, learning tons about uh, federal civilian service. Um, I I'm thinking about switching dirty sailor gear into to publishing. I, I really oh, am, yeah? man. And I good. I I I just published. I self published my own book. Um, it's oh. about. Yes, that was actually my next question. I lied. I had another question. <laughs> well, there, uh, there it is, man. I, I did. I published my own book. It's about my experience with the Coast Guard, and it's geared towards. Um, it's kind of about the, the the suicide and depression rates in the United States Coast Guard. They're they're higher than the other armed forces, and uh, it's kind of my attempt to to understand that. I, I lost some friends along the way, and and since who were veterans and um and uh it's 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 a thing that's happening and i it, this is my attempt to to be real about what's going on and um i think it's at this point it's made some people kind of upset with me and and made some other people laugh and made some other people you know thank me and it it's it's been it's been a trip but why, i think why would people be upset with you if you because don't mind me asking, there was you know, no, there was no, no, it's, it's written in a, in a journalistic type of style. It's almost like a memoir and it's, it's, um, it's grotesque, man. I, I was 18 year old kid when I was in the Coast Guard and I, I, I left older, but I was still young and I did stupid things and I said stupid things and I believe stupid things and, and I, and I, I published it and, and I'll leave it at that, but there's, you know that if 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 there's any word with ism behind it, you could you could label me as that or or ist. You know, it, I I was a dumb a dumb kid doing dumb things around you know a, a poor culture. Um, there's also good things. I'm not I'm not talking about about the Coast Guard. I, I it's about my book. My my book was about this. The, the Coast Guard's a great organization with great people, and um, there there needs to be. Uh, there needs to be somebody who's out there, you know, telling stories that are personal to them, that 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 are representative of, of some sort of truth or reality. And um, and that was my attempt, man. And, and I, I really just want to say, like, to, to anybody in the Coast Guard out there that was, you know, felt like they weren't treated like a like a human being or, or were discharged for inappropriate reasons or unfair reasons. Like, you know, life goes on, man. You know, it does. And, and it's a trip and the ups and downs and the, the, the lesson rights are, are all part of it. All of it. It's part of it. And, um, you can't let an organization run your life, you know, no matter how high and mighty they call themselves. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I can't wait to read the book, man. 
Um, and I know I will. And I'm hoping to have you again here on the podcast at some point, especially with Sam. So we can go over some of the more professional and, and like <laughs> detailed things. Yeah. But I do want to uh, give a shout out to your book, Shipmates Before the Mast, A Kosi's Chronicle of the Dishonorable. And you can find that, I believe, on uh, Amazon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's correct. Amazon. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to plug, man? No shame. No, nothing. Dude, I can't, I, I can't wait to continue our conversations, man. I, I, I hope we talk both on and off camera man it's 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 been cool getting to know you and seeing what you guys do so thank you so much dude i agree like there's just so much that i feel like i can learn from you man like either on or off the podcast or whatever like you mentioned at some point that you might be able to come down to uh to texas over here to the houston area and if you do just please do not hesitate man it's just a matter of time man it's just a matter of time like i said i got buddies in the area and you're down there so now i now i think i have to do it at some point so (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) much appreciated man um thank you so much for being on here um ladies and gentlemen bradley angle dirty sailor company dot com uh he's been able to grace us with his presence so do one last cheers cheers man ricky cheers, with the buddy. damn sailors podcast that's Thanks, right buddy here 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 all right everybody y'all have a good one